0: Hello. Today we're back talking about dreams. Everybody dreams, and I have pointed out before that daydreaming specifically is a common trait among artists. I like to think of dreams as little doors that open and close at their own convenience. It's up to us to cross the threshold or to remain standing on this side of the doorway. We will be talking about many topics that have to do with dreaming, what dreams are made of, how they influence creativity, the role memory plays in the inception of dreams, and how you can use dreams in your creative work. We will also examine works of art that had their foundation in a dream or a vision. The examples are many. To better understand the mechanism of dreaming, we will also look at dreams from different scientific perspectives, from different cultural vantage points, and in the end, we will hopefully walk away with a better understanding of how they happen. So, it is time to follow this white rabbit and see where it takes us. It will be another adventure and surely another chance to learn and be inspired. Cheers! Welcome, everyone, to Six Impossible Things. This episode will be another opportunity to look into the captivating world of dreams, thanks to the section of the podcast I call I've Had Such a Curious Dream. Dreams are indeed curious, they are slippery yet powerful. Sometimes, they tiptoe through the night, and others, often in the form of nightmares, they upset us, interrupting our sleep. The experience of dreaming can be so different each time we dream, and from person to person, too. Today, we will not be concerned with why we dream. We will slowly unfold that mystery in future episodes, but instead, we will briefly learn about how we dream. And let me emphasize the word briefly, or if you wish, concisely, because for one thing, I'm no expert. I am merely making connections between creativity and what I've learned about dreams over the years. My only purpose is to invite you to think about topics that could help take your creativity to a higher level. When we enter the REM phase of sleep, which is an elusive phase for me personally since I take medications that interfere with its proper progression, the brain seems to turn its attention to memories and also the activity that it has undergone during the day. Ideally, this sleep phase comes in waves several times during the night so that we're not always dreaming while we sleep. But when we are dreaming, we rely on the information collected by our brains. There's nothing unusual about that since a healthy brain does it naturally as a matter of programming. It accordingly guides us through life in a safe manner in a manner that ensures our survival for the longest time possible. And it does all this based on the information that it collects daily. So the how of dreaming is a complex process that involves several parts of your brain and interestingly excludes others, such as the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for rational thought. That explains the bizarre nature of dreams. In the absence of rationality, in the absence of realistic expectations of how things are, anything is possible in a dream. You can fly above the clouds, go to the deepest recesses of the ocean dressed as a clown, or you can speak to animals and have, well, perfectly lovely conversations. It reminds me of the artwork created by children or sometimes by artists with cognitive disabilities. Innovations are erased, and the process of creation is unadulterated, and some would say, ironically, real. While the content of your dream might be strange, incredible, the emotions dreams elicit are all too real, and they can even become powerful motivators in your waking hours. Some dreams provoke pleasant emotions and others turn to nightmares. It's very interesting that benign dreams are remembered less often than stressful dreams, for instance, but in any case, the emotions are real in both cases. The euphoria is real, the freedom, the fear, the stress and anxiety. They are not figments of your imagination and your physical body registers them as you would if you were awake. That's why sometimes you might wake up sweating or with a pounding heart or pain in some part of your body. Your body takes notice. So, last week, we entered the Queen of Hearts Garden in Wonderland. If I was to categorize Alice's experience, well it would firmly fall on the side of being a nightmare. It is a terrible encounter that she has with the queen. She's loud, tyrannical, unpredictable, and enabled by everyone around her. She might be the queen of the realm, but I fail to see any trace of heart in her. Alice also meets some terrified cards, desperately painting the white roses bright red before Her Majesty arrives, and they are in fear for their lives. Today, we will enter a different garden altogether. An allegorical garden, a garden full of bizarre symbolism and hidden threats. It is appropriate to feel as much apprehension as Alice did. The emotions are real, and many of the scenes are hard to witness. So, let's take a look at the Garden of Earthly Delights, and if you are not familiar with this work of art, please Google it. It's one for the ages, a must-see, as they say. Why two gardens, you might be thinking. Why does this motif repeat, and how are they similar? Well, references to gardens Are abundant in many religious texts and in the mythology of cultures around the world. They symbolize a place of innocence and natural beauty. They often are the place where the soul finds consolation from the injustices of life. It is a theme bursting with allegory and symbolic imagery. In Tame Gardens, wall gardens especially, protection is indeed possible and relief exists in this very specific and contained domain that it is, after all, artificial. Bosch was a painter who worked during the mid 15th century. He was born in what now is the Netherlands and his career as an artist was spent portraying the shortcomings of human beings. He saw imperfect humans through a religious lens. I mean, he grew up in a deeply religious environment and several of his male relatives were artists. Early on, very early on, he became preoccupied with issues of the soul, and he started to paint scenes that denounced bad behavior and reckless disregard for the teachings of the church. Was he a fanatic? It's hard to say, but he didn't disguise his condemnation in his artwork. There's no record, of course, of Bosch partaking of any violence in real life, But he sure held a mirror to the behavior of sinners and, I guess, he hoped for change. It is remarkable that his restraint in real life is nowhere to be seen when it comes to his paintings. Most of his panels include violent scenes, terrifying monsters, punishment of all sorts, and the almost perennial appearance of the devil or its territory, hell. The Garden of Earthly Delights sits at the apex of his career, and it is the strongest of all his works. He manages to create a piece, a triptych, that is initially a delightful painting, a hopeful scene, then extremely disturbing, and suddenly mind-altering and horrifying all in one go. And the question is, where did Bosch find the inspiration for the strange details that pepper the surface of this painting? Many theorize that Bosch was troubled by nightmares and that he references them directly in this triptych. It is quite possible. Before we proceed any further, let me provide you with a description of the artwork. The inside of the triptych is painted in bright colors as opposed to the outside. There are three scenes that share the same themes, sin and punishment. Each one takes one entire panel. So the left-hand side panel depicts Eden with Eve being presented to Adam by God. The center is the most mystifying and confusing panel for the viewer because on the surface, it is all about celebrating God's gifts. However, on second glance, this garden is deceiving to the senses. It's a mirage and it's laced with many sins and temptations. Interestingly, this panel has the same background and color scheme as the first one that was so peaceful, and it's almost a a continuation, although the atmosphere is changing in front of our eyes. The last panel to the right is an all-out snapshot of a shocking vision of hell, and that brings us back to the bizarre beings that inhabit these landscapes. It seems at first that Bosch is rejoicing and painting men and women frolicking in a carefree environment. But this joy, the joy of the garden, the joy of the safety in the garden is not real. And the ultimate fate is eternal damnation. In the end, it is a dark illustration of the fragility and ephemeral nature of happiness and earthly pleasures. Scholars have paid particular attention to the imaginary animals that populate the panel. They tend to be much larger and imposing than they would be in real life. They sometimes have human characteristics that make them really strange. Among them, there are owls that evoke evil with their fixed stares directed at the viewer. Also present are plants and fruits, which are, once again, much larger and strange than in reality. There were examples of dream representations in paintings from the time of the Renaissance but Bosch embraces his own enigmatic iconography with amazing intensity. Every square inch of the panel is populated with a fragment of a nightmarish vision. Despite his religious devotion, Bosch is not shy in his portrayal of sin, and he makes use of an almost irrational level of mockery and satire in this painting. It was widely believed that dreams were delivered to sleeping saints as a way of spreading God's teachings. Is this the case with Bosch? I'm not saying that he was a saint, but I'm saying that maybe he believed this to be the purpose of his paintings. Is this garden a collection of dreams and nightmares coming from a mind in deep conflict with the failure of society? Is it a cautionary tale against disregarding the moral doctrines of the church? I find it very intriguing that dreams and religious ecstasy are considered in many traditions as the same thing, both vehicles of communication between humans and the divine. What part does imagination play in this process, you may wonder? Well, in my estimation, Bosch erased with his garden triptych the boundaries between dreams and imagination. It is hard to say where the dreams end and the painter's inventiveness starts. What stays with me is trying to conceive of the extreme emotions he must have experienced upon having these nightmares or visions. For instance, a deep-seated fear of the afterlife, and it must have gripped him even while he created this masterpiece. That explains that the painting is a message, a warning for everyone who sees it. I think that this work of art perfectly illustrates the processes that the brain undertakes to create a dream. The snapshots we collect during the day, the scenes we witness, the conversations we have, the beliefs we uphold, they are all mixed together and they determine the shape of our dreams. I can only conclude that the input that our surroundings provide to our brain will be responsible for the texture and content of our dreams day in and day out. You might not know it, but I am fond of reading poetry. So in closing this episode, I wanted to share with you a little poem written by none other than Lewis Carroll himself. I find it so fitting and so descriptive of his fondness for dreams and I hope I can do it justice. The poem is titled, Life is But a Dream. A boat beneath a sunny sky Lingering onward dreamily In an evening of July Children three that nestle near Eager eye and willing ear Pleased a simple tale to hear Long has paled that sunny sky Echoes fade and memories die, Autumn frosts have slain July. Still she haunts me phantom-wise, Alice moving under skies, never seen by waking eyes. Children yet, the tale to hear, Eager eye and willing ear, lovingly shall nestle near. In a wonderland they lie, Dreaming as the days go by, Dreaming as the summers die. Ever drifting down the stream, lingering in the golden gleam. Life, what is it but a dream? Meet me here next Tuesday for another episode of Six Impossible Things. Until then, I wish you sweet dreams. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to six impossible things. I hope you enjoyed it. Please join me again next week. Subscribe on your favorite app so you don't miss any episodes and visit madcollage.com for original artwork, exclusive prints and monthly offers for extra goodies. Please visit my red bubble store and select your favorite merchandise. You can also help make six impossible things possible with a small contribution so that I can enjoy a lovely cup of tea while I write and edit this content. Have a peaceful and creative week. Take care.